Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Marian Timelkov. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, I want to start with a gratitude today. I'm so grateful uh, well, to God first and to every one of you, and especially to having a special guest today, uh, James. Um, thank you for making the time. Uh, as you know, we are on a mission, uh, uh, actually on the Leaders Who Care, to bring some of the most caring leaders from every corner of the world. And uh, thank you for making the time because you have a fascinating story that I would like to really uh, can't wait to to share and discuss with with you um, as there's so many lessons there and and so much value especially for people that are in transformation that really want to get ahead and what you've done is is fantastic but first of all welcome and thank you really uh, for making the time today Marion thank you and it's always an honor to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you but I'm, I'm excited to be on your show so thank you I truly appreciate it I'm humbled by this experience thank you james um james tell us a little bit about you and um just how, especially the major milestones of your uh, of your fascinating life journey of how it's uh, how how did you get to where you are i mean um, it, you are a professor or about you know in the in the coming uh, kind of to best selling author entrepreneur you, you're doing so many things um how did that all happen and where did it all start? Marion, I, I, I think I'm going to start with the fact of sometimes I ask myself, why did God choose me? You know, <laughs> there, there's so many other people that I feel in my heart are better individuals, but I think God saw something in me. And at a very young age, my name was James Cremell. My, my biological father decided to step away and, and not, you know, decided not to raise us. My twin brother, my older brother and I. And I struggled with it. I think I struggled with identity for a long time or identity crisis. Who am I? What am I meant to be? And when my mother remarried, she remarried a, a good man, you know, but it, I think now looking back, I think that kind of harmed us as well because we never saw any flaws in this individual. And he was like the second coming of Christ. So it, I always measured myself to him like, how can I be this good or how can I be good like him? So I found myself, we lived in a poor environment. How do I fit into this environment? I tried to be smart and go to school, but in my environment, it wasn't a cool thing. It was the people that was getting in trouble and fighting. Those were the ones that stood out and people tended to respect. So I started doing the same thing. And to make a long story short, we was living in Fall River, Massachusetts. That's when my mentality started getting into this aggressive nature. My father get out of the military, moved to uh, Wilson, North Carolina. And all of a sudden I find myself selling drugs at the age of 12 having two kids by the age of 17, but I also was a good athlete. And I thought that I was meant to go pro, but now looking back, because you only can connect the dots when you look back, I realized that God gave me the ability to be a great athlete, but never go quite to that highest level because God didn't want me to completely be in the streets. But everything that I was going through, God knew it was going to be eventually be a testimony for other people, but it also humbled me. You know, by having those experiences and knowing that the grace that I received 
it make me a more empathetic leader to a more understanding leader to where I'm not quick to judge other individuals. So once I, I did all of those things in the street and I, I blew off some football scholarships, I was still blessed to play division three football. And when I went in, I had the mindset of I'm change and all of this stuff, or that's what I thought. But I thought that going to a new environment would change me, but I didn't change the way I think or change the way that I was thinking. So I still had that negative spirit and law of attraction, likes attract like. So I still found negative things to get in, into. So I eventually almost shot somebody. And that's when I said, I really need to change. So I said, what can I do to really change my life? And I decided to take a risk. So I never wanted to go into the military. So I said, let me do something that I never said I would do and just go out and do it. And when I joined the military, I went in with the mindset of, if anybody can make me a better person, I'm gonna listen. So I got married, started going back to college, became airman of the year, airman of the quarter. I was a dental hygienist. And from that, that inspired me to eventually, when I got out of the military, I played some professional arena football, worked in a lot of different industries and leadership roles. And then somebody talked me into going back to school to get my PhD. And I, I became a professor and wrote a bunch of books and now I do a little bit of acting. So I don't want to hold everybody up. There's a lot of things to dig into with that. But basically a mental transformation or transformational leadership was what I kind of adopted along the way. Wow. And uh, what, are the, what are the what most are the critical, critical lessons? lessons or the... I think the most critical lesson, and we, we talked about this a little before, before we got on air, is I had to learn that I don't need validation from the world. I don't need acceptance from other individuals. I need to truly learn to love myself. And that's when the scripture that Jesus said, one of his greatest commands is to love your neighbor as you love thyself. It's no way that I could truly love my neighbors or love my friends if I don't first love myself. It's basically, we have a lot of individuals where what I was trying to do is pour into everybody else's cup, but I didn't have enough water in my own cup. So what I had to learn is that, James, you don't have to try to appease anybody. You need to learn to love yourself. Then you can give people what it is that they really need and what they want from you. So I think that was the most critical. Tell me about you've written a book. So I, I wrote a couple of books. So, and it's all about the concept of mind, body, and spirit. The first book was from Thug the Scholar. And it was basically the mental transformation of how can I move from thinking that I need to placate individuals in my neighborhood or this, this, um, this uh, cancerous environment and not try to be like them and tend to move to more towards where I think God want me to be. But when I did that, it was like, okay, what are some other areas in my life I need to change? I felt like I needed to change my body. So I wrote a book called From Flab to Abs. And then my last book was Check Your Life, Be Limitless. Really check your life. How do you feel in the moment? What triggers you to be angry? What allow you to stop you from loving unconditionally individuals that's in your life? What stop you from believing that you are entitled to have certain things that can be a blessing to other individuals. So that book was basically look at your life, look at the God inside you and realize that there's a world of limitless opportunities out there, but you got to be willing to listen and follow the God inside you. Yeah, I was very inspired by the book that you've written, the, especially the being the limitless part. Uh, what inspired you to do to write that book? And uh, how did it all came? What was the ethos, the philosophy? What's not in the book, in other words? <laughs> I think I was, I was struggling with the whole story of Adam and Eve. And I was just wondering, I said, why would people that were already with God, why would they break any rules? And, and, I, and I started looking at my life, juxtaposing in my life. I'm like, you have all of these things, but sometimes we tend to 
say, hey, well, I want a little bit of this too. And you hear people say the 80-20 rule. You know, that can be in relationships, that can be anything. We have 80% of what we need and want, but we're always focusing on the 20% that we don't have. So when I look at the story of Adam and Eve, they had all of these trees they can eat from. The tree of knowledge and good and evil was the only one they couldn't eat from. The tree of knowledge and good and evil. And I said, well, what does that mean? Knowledge, like knowledge is not a bad thing. The world tried to tell us to acquire as much knowledge as possible, but they was walking around free, not worrying about anything. You know, everything was out. And then all of a sudden when they ate fruit from the tree of knowledge, now their eyes became open and they're like, oh, we're not supposed to walk around like this. So they're hiding from the creator, the Alpha and Omega. And then all of a sudden God asked them, where are you? And they're like, we're hiding. And he's like, why are you hiding? And they said, we're naked. And God asked the question, who told you you was naked? And that question I really struggle with because I think about Jesus was the great philosopher to ask questions. Buddha asked questions. I think about all of the great philosophers. It's all questions, the Socratic method. And I said, hmm, questions lead you to be curious. So I said, what are some things that have limited me? In the United States, being black as a minority, sometimes it pigeonholes you into a certain way of thinking. You, It's only so far that you can go. And I'm like, well, why did I buy into that? First of all, I don't even look black, I'm brown. So what is this? All of these constructs are used to divide us but also used to limit us. So what I had to say is, who told me that I can't cry if I like a movie? Look, I wanna cry when I see Green Mile. I wanna cry when I see The Lion King. I, I wanna be able to cry. Like, why can't I have these abilities? So what I realized is that we need to respect knowledge, but not use knowledge to limit who we're supposed to be when our great creator created us. So that was the whole concept and what drove me to really write that book. So what you're saying, of course, is that sometimes knowledge can, as you said, could be good and bad, you know, it, and that that is really what we need to di differentiate and distinguish. Absolutely. You know, because you think about it like this, our parents, when they raise us, I think a lot of times they raise us out of fear. But fear mm -hmm. is not a good thing because mm -hmm. fear stops you from seeing all of the limitless opportunities. So when my parents say, hey, James, be realistic. You know, you can never be an actor. You can never be on TV. Yeah. Well, that's what they believe. You know, so they're thinking, well, if my son wastes all his time trying to be an actor, how in the world is he going to ever make money and take care of himself? Because they're basing my life on all of their trials and tribulations. Instead of saying, hey, let's try to build on that. What make you think you can do that? Like, what is God really leading you to do? What is your intuitive spirit telling you that it is that you should do? But a lot of times we raise out of fear. So what I had to realize is, their dreams, their hopes, what they believe, it has nothing to do with me. I got a dream beyond that. And I think that's the whole problem when we live this limited life. I love it. Well, you know, so many people are in that situation, James, and I'd love if you share of, obviously, apart from recommending you, you know, to take a look at the book if they're interested, but what are the maybe immediate actions, immediate things they can do in order to be free? Because to me, Freedom is one of really one of the highest virtues we can have, of course, apart from love that we have. I think the first thing you do is you got to ask yourself questions. For example, it was two fears that I had to overcome. I had to overcome the fear of heights and I had to overcome the fear of dogs. Hmm. And some people say, well, why in the world were you ever afraid of those things? And I think I was afraid of heights and dogs because my mom was afraid of it. So all of the subliminal messages was to be afraid, to be afraid. 
And what I had to do is I had to first ask myself a question. Why am I afraid? Like, is that my thought or is that somebody else's thought? Then I say, what is my feeling when I when I'm on a high building or I think of heights or when I see dogs of or things of that nature? And then I challenge those fears. And I said, well, it's not going to kill you to stand at the edge of a building. So just stand there. And then you ask yourself these logical questions. Well, James, the only way you're going to fall off the building is if you throw yourself off. James, are you going to throw yourself off the building? Absolutely not. So just feel what it's like and allow yourself to feel the fear. Well, what is the fear doing to you? It's limiting you. So James, how about just walk a little closer to the edge? Feel it. Okay. And now, James, I need you to do something drastic to face your fear. So I said, okay, what can I do drastically? So I decided to skydive. Most terrifying experience, especially as you're going up in a jet. But once I jumped out and I faced it and I realized, James, at the end of your life or while you live in this life, there's one thing that's guaranteed. You will die. Once you accept the fact that you will die, now you can face all your fears. So the first thing that I would tell people to do is recognize the fear. Be aware of it. What is your awareness level of it? What is your anxiety? What is your reasoning for it? And then you got to find a way to face the fear. So there's three things. Awareness. Ask yourself why. And then what feeling are you feeling? Well, four things. And then four, find a way to go out and face the fear. So those are the things that I would tell people to do that they can do right now. Thank you. James, I, I also encourage and concur, of course. It's the best ways to, the way I silence the doubt and whatever, because that happens even in athlete's mind, is with, um, with two things. I basically sign, silence the doubt with, with immediate action and success. When you take immediate action and then you, you, you basically have success, the next, next time the mind is saying, should I doubt again? Oh, well, look what happened last time. It didn't work out. So, you know, and that's what uh, that's what a lot of people do. Take an action um, pretty much instantaneously, because if you don't, when you sleep, those worries will come into your sleep. If you take an action during the day, you know, you, you've seen and proven it, then, then it's out. You, they, they, they will not. So uh, thank you for sharing that example. It's, uh, it's fantastic. So it's really uh, great to hear. James, um, you also have a family and you had a, a, two children of, at the age of 17. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's first of all, um, you know, I guess probably not a lot of experience raising children, softly said, <laughs> understated, but, you know, you are, you are a child raising a child, in other words. You know, um, how did you manage that? because that's really very tough, you know, especially with parents. And, and how many children do you have today? So I have a total of four children. And I will say this. Wow. I want to preface it with this. Um, it's tougher for young ladies by far. The baby lived with them 24-7. So I don't want to sit here and make it seem like my experience is tougher than any woman. I respect what women do. And these young ladies that I got pregnant, unfortunately, they never graduated from high school. So and I and I have to take ownership that I played a role in that, you know, because I, I lay with them, had sex with them, things of that nature. They had two kids. And of course, they're you know, we all have free will. They had decisions to make. But I still believe that I play a role in that. So those two kids that I had at a young age, my oldest daughter, we still our relationship is still sort of something that need to be massaged out. She faced a lot of difficult challenges. 
she uh, may feel a certain way and, and some of it she could rightfully feel that way, but it's just not, it's not where it need to be. My other daughter, we have a pretty good relationship. She's doing great things with going to hair school and things of that nature. The two kids I have with my wife, it's a little different, a little bit more structured environment, a little bit more mature as a father, a little bit more stable in what it is, trying to guide them the right way. So they benefited. And the reason why I'm sharing it is because this is not about how to do things spiritually. It's just logically when you're when you're having kids with people you love, there's going to be more love in that environment. When you're planning kids, it's going to be more more thoughtful and logical decision making that goes into raising those kids. So it's not an easy process. It's not an easy thing. But I think things like that happen to me the same way as selling drugs and things I chose. I'm not going to say happen because I decided to go make those decisions. It's stories that I can share with other people. So hopefully they make better decisions and don't have to follow the same path that I follow in because there is no perfect life. Everybody's going to have struggles and things that they have to deal with, but you got to be okay with it. And you can't beat yourself up and say, oh, why me? You know, because I don't want this to be anybody else. I don't want this to be you, Marion, or anybody else that I know that have to deal with this. But um, it, it is something that I did at a young age. And it was, you know, with two ladies. I didn't want to have the kids. But when I had the kids, I really fell in love with them and, you know, tried as hard as I could from my limited knowledge to raise them. But it was it was very, very difficult. And it was very, very intimidating. You know, but I think at the same time, it motivated me. Because I realized I still had two kids I had to take care of, take care of financially, emotionally. So I had to make sure that I made the best decisions to where that I can always be in a position to take care of them. They say that kids shape you, and more often than not, of course, make you a better father, better parent, uh, or, or a mom, and, and you learn a lot. But it's difficult to predict, and especially when you're going through hardship and what you have done. What would you have done, you know, if you had? If you are your 20, 17 years old or 16 years old self, because you started quite early, you know, and nobody was asked 20 years old, what what would you do perhaps differently if you had that moment to, It, to yeah. reflect? What decisions would you have taken? I would say this because of the way I, what I know now. And then it may come off contradictory what I say afterwards. What I know now, I would have waited until I found out who I was before I ever had sex, period. Mm. I would have learned to love myself mm. and I would learn to not use sex as just some object or thing that feels good or use sex as something to make me feel good because I got validation from girls liking me, from girls wanting to have sex with me. It gave me validation. I don't think anybody, I'm not telling anybody to wait till they get married, but I think if you have sex, it should be your decision that you make. And a woman shouldn't make it because her man say, hey, you love me. If you love me, do this. Or a person shouldn't do it because it's going to make them just feel more value in life. It should be something that you decide to do. So I would have waited. However, if I would have waited, I don't know if I would be as conscious in my thought now. I don't know if I would be as uh, empathetic, you know, to other people in their situations or as understanding. So I think I was the person that was chose for this. You know, what does it say? God doesn't put more on you than what you're able to bear. And this is my burden that I have to bear. So I would definitely change things, knowing what I know now. However, I don't think it would have put me in a very good place if I never went through that struggle. And I say this because outside of ever being tempted by women, there's no issues that I really struggle with. I'm not 
a person that need to drink. I don't need to gamble or any. So I think everybody has their own things that they need that make them say, hey, God, I still need you. You know, I'm man, I'm very flawed. So I think that's something that I, I needed to deal with realistically. Oh, fantastic, James. Thank you so much for sharing that. We have a question here from uh, somebody we both really respect and know, Stoyan. James, in your book, you mentioned that uh, a moment in which you almost shot a person and, and that moment was really pivotal in your journey of transformation. Can you share that story? Was it a hard change in your mindset and environment? How did you almost make that decision? And uh, especially for people who are uh, really in situation of thinking, hey, how can I do better? What can How can I really transform? Absolutely. I, I would say great question, Stoyan. For me to even get in that situation, I think people need to realize why they're in situations or hanging with individuals that does not serve them in a beneficial way. So for me, I was hanging around with individuals that I felt accepted me. I didn't feel like I was worthy of love. I didn't feel like I was worthy of God's grace or love or anything. I didn't feel like I was worthy to still be alive. At that time, I was 19 years old. It was back in uh, February of 1999. I was struggling every day and I was asking God to allow me to die. I hated life. Didn't want to be here. And, and I want people to really understand what I'm saying. At 19 years old, I did not oh. want to be here and I hated life. At 41, I love my life. So I want anybody that's dealing with any heartache or heart or any issues mentally to realize it can get better. And at that time, I did not think it could get better. So I'm with these guys and I want to impress them. You know, so I'm the one that's having a gun every single night and we get I, I get high. I'm smoking weed and I'm drinking a lot of alcohol and I'm very paranoid in this state. And I see a guy run into the vehicle and all of a sudden I hear Titus say, hey, shoot him, shoot him. So I cock the gun and I have the gun out the window and I'm just waiting and I'm just and I'm trying to get aim. I'm really trying to aim at this person and I can't really see clearly. And then by the time I'm about to shoot, he said, no, 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 that's my boy. And, I, and, at, and at time, I realized I really was probably going to shoot this person. And it scared me because I asked, I said, how in the world did I become this person that I thought I would never be? There's a lot of people in prison or a lot of people that's dead because they did things or became a person they never thought they would be. Everything is like small steps. And it's like how you have a little bit of yeast can destroy you know, bread or dough or anything like that. Little bit of little bit of bad behaviors add up and it festers. And all of a sudden you become a person you don't want to be. For me, it scared me so much that I said, this is not who I'm going to be. This is not my inherent truth. This is not who I was put on this earth to be. And I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And I'm saying this because I want people to understand it's not a bad thing if you don't know who you're supposed to be. I think when you're really seeking, you're still realizing I'm not a professor. I'm not an author. I'm not a speaker. I'm just a person living a limitless life. So whatever the universe lead me to do, I'm going to do. So it's not a bad place to be in. But I said, you know what? I don't want to be what the world think I should be. And that's a thug. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open my mind and expand my my and become vulnerable to whatever it is that people can lead me to do. I'm going to be willing to do it so that it scared me to the point where I said, let me just be open to listen to people that saying positive things and planting positive seeds in my life. And that's what really changed me and moved me in that positive direction. No, oh, fantastic, James. Well, thank you, which really the message here is, guys, you can change at any moment of your life. 
uh, there's a lot of goodness coming, especially if you suffered, if you're really feeling alone, if you're feeling that you don't want to live or lost passion for life, you can have passion for life. You can bring back passion for life. For uh, for me personally, I can speak. God gives me that passion. And I don't know for others, but uh, you know, there's many things that can inspire you to do things. Uh, you know, to to really get back. And James, you, you're doing so much today. Tell us about uh, you know just that story, kind of paint a picture of where you were, and what about now? What do you do? What? How does that? How is your activities today and all the things you involve? Tell us about really that love you have that passion you have for life today what is it uh, inspired by it's honestly it's, it's inspired by god and it's inspired by the fact that today could be my last day you know so i have this saying that i say every single day and when you break it down there's so much power in it i say today is a glorious day and for 86,400 seconds i would give my excellence and my best until i'm laid to rest i'm abundantly blessed and never stressed be better than your best and never rest on your last success. Check your life. Be limitless. I get excited that I get to meet people. I love people. It doesn't matter what they look like, where they come from. I love people. And what I realized when you build these positive relationships with people and just fall in love with the whole aspect of life and knowing that one day I wake up, it will be my last day. It helps drives me to get the most out of the day. So that leads me to take risk with being an actor. I was on set yesterday um, doing a cool commercial, Christmas commercial, you know, where we're showing people how to communicate with text and phone and, you know, FaceTime and all of these things. So I get to do all of these things that when I was a kid, I used to always say, I wonder if I can ever be on TV or, you know, I hate reading. And now I read over 30 books a year, you know, and now I'm writing books. So what I realized is that when we limit ourselves or think this is who we're supposed to do, is this thing psychologists call identity foreclosure, where mm -hmm. this is you who you say you're going to be so you don't see all of these other alternatives. So for me, I don't have any identity foreclosure. I just have this, this, this notion that I'm put on this earth to live a limitless life because good leaders, they model the way. You know, if we want people to do the same thing, we got to be one, willing to model the behavior. So if I'm saying you got to live a limitless life, people should look at me and say, man, this guy is doing a lot of things. You know what? And I'm just as good as him. I'm better than this guy. And I would say you're absolutely right. If I can do it, you can do it. So that's the whole point of my life, to live this limitless life so that other individuals believe they can do the same thing. Fantastic. And, and honestly, I believe we can have it all. And, and God spoke about abundance and prosperity in every area of our life and if that's the case there and he speaks about it why should we not do it why should believe uh, maybe some other human fellows that that say otherwise they, they because they, they're limited in their way but you're right i see more and more and that encourages me people that actually have that abundance have that prosperity and and there's many sayings you might have heard of someone that everything he touches or she touches turns to gold uh that's fantastic that's a blessing and and uh when you bring that with there are many things but often people try to master one category at a time i'm gonna master uh money and you spend 30 28 30 years of getting money or career or uh, and then they find out their health is struggling you know or you know they missed out on their their parenting so there's many things you need uh, when you're blessed you do all those things at at, at once um Absolutely. 
in in that that happens really otherwise you won't you won't have many years in your life to do one by one <laughs> in that. so i just really related so much to what you said and that uh, prosperity limitless and encouragement and uh, really taking care of so of so many people through sharing your wisdom your through the journey you've done and you've gone and you're now at university you're entrepreneur you're uh, working with uh, businesses so you do so much and and thank you for really caring and uh, going you know after going through a transformation journey how do you take care of yourself in order to have that continuous energy and and really uh, 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 motivation to do that so i tell people you know when they see me because i'm kind of gregarious and I, I talk a lot i'm really an introvert i get my energy from being alone you know, so I wake up early in the morning, four or five o'clock. I go in, I read a little bit of scripture or some positive text. Then I read, you know, I'm reading this book right now called Deep Work. That's really about uh, being very mindful in what it is that we do, you know, and eliminating distractions. And then I go to the gym and I put about two hours into the gym, train the body real hard. It make me feel accomplished. It make me say, hey, let's go out and eat you know, a pretty clean diet for, throughout the day. It just, it just motivates me and inspires me. So I inspire myself first. I take care of myself first. And then that gives me the energy to pour into other people and take care of them. So I have a very, very basic routine to where wake up, read something inspirational, um, read something positive, listen to something inspirational on my way to the gym, get to the gym, work out for about two hours, get home. I have the same basic meal. And then I go to work and I and I pour into other people. So take care of myself first, and then I, I, I share what I have with other people. Fantastic. Well, that's why you're waking up four or five in the morning. When is your work starting? <laughs> so my on Tuesdays and Thursdays, my work normally start. I start teaching at 9.50. So I try to get to work about 9.15, 9.20, go in, you know, converse with my students a little bit before class start, and that's it. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it just varies. You know, sometimes I got to be there at eight o'clock, depends on meetings. But, you know, by getting up so early in the morning, it really doesn't matter. I'm already, I'm game You're to ready go. Up. Yes. Uh, you know, someone said to me, I love what you just shared, because if you um, want to really make a profound impact on your life and take one thing from this podcast and, uh, and say, hey, if you just change your waking up hour, just just that one thing and start waking up early an hour two whatever you can um that can have a profound impact you know, I because you have so much more quiet time structure you'll take care of, that allows you to take care of yourself which later on you can take care of others and have a, a really great day you know some great things can happen to you but also some great things can happen through you as well because of the what you do and and really the the way where you, you plan your day so that's also not a another a reminder of simple but actually uh, it makes a profound difference i agree completely and james what is your you know looking at um these are so many things happening today and and looking at really what's the future look like um in the next, uh, in the coming years, in the next ten or twenty years, what what is your kind of vision for a more better, caring world? What is your uh, view or hope you have? Because I know you're also very optimistic in in that sense. 
I think we definitely need to be more inclusive and not just do lip service. You know, I think a lot of times we say we're welcoming of other cultures, other ideas, other philosophies and opinions. But how can we really say, you know, hey, you know, I want to hear what you what, what you think as a woman or I want to hear what you think from your area or your region of the world. How can you see that benefit in here? Because what I see happening right now is you have a bunch of people trying to hold on to something that is going to outlive all of us. Because at the end of the day, this is not our world. This is not our land. We're visitors. We're just here temporarily, and then we're going to pass through. So I feel like the more that we have people sort of thinking on that level, then the more that we will be able to really, or sensuous beings, the more sensuous beings we have thinking on that level, we'll create a high enough frequency to where we say, hey, Bulgaria is me. And then Bulgarians say, hey, no, 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 U.S. is me. And then we will start really expanding our world to all of these different regions and say, no, 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 that's brother, my, my brother and sister over there. You know, but we need to have people that have more experiences and get outside of their little silo or their echo chambers where they're just hearing everything that they want to hear, that reiterate everything they learn. I think once we expand people's thinking and expand our worlds to where we can really touch each other and feel each other, I think we can truly have an inclusive uh, world. And, you know, we, we say inclusivity, you know, here in the United States, but I think we need to have an inclusive world where we open up and just connect with everybody and really love the, the way other people feel about God, love the other way people feel about who they desire to love and all of those things. And I think once, once we have that mindset, I think we'll be able to have more grace and understanding for all cultures. Fantastic. The beauty in all the cultures. Uh, absolutely. And, and what about uh, re- when you look at, uh, the way the way things work out and um, when people uh, have all this inclusivity. I love what you just said, traveling. Obviously, with Corona, we have to um, kind of uh, take that into account in, in, and there's a lot of tough years and that people have gone through. But also, I'm sure there's a lot of goodness coming our way. I mean, seeing some profound differences. Some people already started to, you know, take really that as a, great time to self-improve to develop themselves to when you're locked up rather than just feeling self-pity and missing those things start thinking what can i do in that time you know maybe i could work on myself and go to the gym and become an athlete maybe i could uh do some work on the house maybe i can spend uh, actually uh, uh, make up the time i miss with my with my children and see what they need how can i prepare and become a better father better husband better uh leader whatever better servant whatever you do uh, you can self-improve, and I think that that is that is really so important. Um, and and I like what you said of, of really becoming more inclusive and and travel the. So what what we should be anticipating is uh, getting out more travel, getting out of our our bubbles. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it was two things you said. You know, when when you was talking about how serving, we need to have more servant leaders, and we need to have more collaborative leadership. You know, how can we really connect and get everybody philosophies and opinions in? And I tell people, I'm using a little story. It's kind of a a microcosm of what I see in the world. I was with one of my colleagues in New York, and this was at a time where I was drinking. And we're leaving a bar, and she looked at me, you know, very intently, and she said, are you ever afraid? And I said, afraid of what? And she said, are you afraid, you know, to walk at night when you leave the bar? And I no thought to it. I was like, no, I'm not afraid. And then all of a sudden it hit me and I looked at her and I said, are you? And she said, every night. 
And it made me realize I don't have empathy or didn't have empathy for women that have to leave the bars at night. And then it was this guy that I read, Adam Grant. He said, we need to have counterfactual thinking. Put myself, not just have empathy, but really put myself in her shoes. Where does she come from? Her philosophy as a woman, what would it feel like to really go out there and feel it? And then we're able to really say, oh man, I, I really see you. I really understand what it is that you go through. To me, that's inclusivity. That's really being able to understand each other. I should be able to understand my brothers in Turkey, understand my brothers in India, you know, China and whatever, and really try to say, I want to know what it is that you see on a day-to-day -day basis. And now that will really create this caring leadership. But a lot of times we say things, but a lot of times, like our leaders here in the States, they haven't really experienced poverty. Some of them was, you know, well into their 60s. What do they know about being a 20 or 30 year old or 40 year old? They're so far removed from that. So we have to really be willing to say, I want to go into your world, understand where you come from. So now I can start speaking and being the voice for you. And to me, I think that's what we need to really create a world of caring leaders and an inclusive environment that's willing and accepting of everyone. Well, thank you, James. I think uh, a lot more is coming, even though we are early days, but we're on a mission to bring that stage and connect and really spread that message and inspire many others, inspire really uh, leaders that want to be better, that... Uh, there's one thing that I, I personally believe and I've learned and I've seen so many looking, many philosophies and looking back in history that at the end, what is left uh, at the end of your life is your character. So who do you become? Um, you know, whenever you go to heaven, um, you know, only your character will. Everything else, as you really said, stays here. We are uh, renting or we're just here for a period of time uh, don't know for how long, but whatever we're here to serve and make a positive difference. And also what is exciting is to develop, to grow. And, and that's that's personally very, very exciting because your character and how nice it is to go from the situation where you were to where you are. Yes. That's passion. That, that's what I wanted to show today that, you know, the leaders who care, not just uh, leaders who actually... Um, uh, never had difficulties or been on the other side. They actually may have well experienced that, but it made a conscious decision, um, a profound decision to to make a difference, to to shift. It's painful though. James, uh, how, how? tell me about your transformation. How difficult it was because it's, it's not easy to change, especially, I mean, I know for a fact from a, the brain physiology that the first seven years are much easier for a child to model and change. Then seven to 14 uh, more, takes a bit more effort, but it's still good timing. From 14 to 21, the final changes. And then after that, pain. <laughs> Any change is a pain yes. <laughs> from after 21. How was it for you? So it's, it's funny. You make me think about a little bit of neuroscience here. You know, we have this thing in our brain called a basal ganglia, or it creates these habit loops, or this routine yeah. You know, in the prefrontal cortex, it's sort of like your decision maker. So we can say the basal ganglia is sort of, you know, our, our subconscious thought, things that we just do. You know, we don't even really think about it. So in order to break that, we have to be willing to be conscious. You know, so mindfulness, meditation, those things come into play. I tried to change myself before I started meditating and being mindful, and it was hard. Because you question yourself, you know, is this the real me? 
you know, this is who I've been all this, all this time. Why am I going to change now? And then it's hard because you start saying, well, you know, if you change, you're going to lose some things because in order to receive, you got to be willing to open your hand and let go some things. But if you hold on tight, nothing could come in, nothing gets out. So what are you going to lose? Friendships, family relationships, maybe even certain jobs, ideologies, maybe even your religion change. So you got to be willing to open yourself up. So for me, it was so hard to get to that state. So I had to start becoming aware of my thoughts. So meditating started becoming real big. Metacognition, being aware of the things that I'm thinking. So what am I really thinking? How can I really engage these thoughts? So it was the hardest thing that I ever did in my life to mentally change and challenge the way that I think. So you're absolutely right. It's not an easy process. What I had to do was question, start meditating, and then start adding healthy, productive habits to replace the old habits, and then not being afraid, being willing to say, hey, there are certain people that I'm going to lose. There are certain things I'm going to lose. But the alternative is much better because it's a brighter side. When you face your fear, there's always joy on the opposite side. And I actually wrote a a chapter in my book just about that specific thing in Check Your Life, Be Limitless. There's always joy on the opposite side of fear, but you'll never find that joy if you're not willing to face the fear. So us changing ourselves is the greatest fear we're probably ever going to have to face because it may cause some people to have divorces, may cause some people to say, hey, this is not the right job for me, but you got to be willing to face that fear. James, you know, thank you. Really, that's so important. You're touching on something very uh, critical here. I I still remember if you can, that's like really conquering yourself or really getting really understanding and being in full control. That is fantastic. If you're able to achieve, you know, and, and, and be in that, that uh, state, it takes a lot of effort. You're right. But as you said, on the other side is, is joy and life um, full of wonders, really, if you think about it, especially if you have God's blessing, you, you will have that, you know, absolutely. It, it, absolutely. it starts with him, but you know, you can put, you need to put in your own really uh, efforts to do that. And um, well, first of all, thank you so much really for making that uh, time today and this uh, fantastic insights and lessons from your own journey. Uh, of course, w- our mission is to give stage to leaders who care like you to share their um, life journey and, and also the wisdom and uh, lessons they've learned throughout so they can serve many others, especially that's uh, the beginning of their journey, or maybe they are in the midst of crisis. Um, and James, any other, any final kind of comments or words that you want to share that, that are really important or way important for you? Yeah. So I, I want to to say something about joy real quick. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is a feeling that we chase. Joy is something that even when so-called bad is going on, we're able to find contentment in that situation. So that's the thing that I think we should really focus on. So what I want to leave people with is be aware of what it is that you're feeling. Be aware of what it is that you're thinking. And always try to make sure that you focus on positive thoughts, even in situations that does not feel ideal, because then it will create a positive outcome. So to me, that's what we should be striving for, because the more positive uh, thought uh, provoking individuals we have, 
the more love and unity we would have in this environment. And I think that's the most important thing. If you can have a positive impact in this world, that's your legacy. So be limitless and be free, my friends. I love you and I truly appreciate the time to speak to all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. God bless you on everything you do. And thank you for joining us today. It was fantastic. And uh, uh, take care. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community. First, by taking care of yourself and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.